In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. A young woman from the neighborhood stopped me one day this week and asked me if our church would be doing the usual Thanksgiving project. Um, if you're new to Holy Trinity, you may not know that the, the days in the week leading up to Thanksgiving Day, hundreds of people go to the basement of our mission house and prepare Thanksgiving meals that are then packaged up and delivered to shut-ins in the neighborhood on Thanksgiving Day. And so I said to her, yes, in fact, we just began talking about it at the Holy Trinity Neighborhood Center meeting the other night. And I thought she was next going to ask me, well, when does the opening begin for volunteers and how do I sign up? Instead, she said, oh, I'm so glad. I've told my family I can't join them for Thanksgiving because I have to help at church. And so I asked her, I said, so what's that about? (laughs) And she said, well, I went home to New Jersey last year for Thanksgiving, and it was rough. And she said about half of the family are very happy with the current president of the United States, and the other half um, are not so happy. And she said that it began well enough, and then as folks had a little bit of wine, um, things got really ugly fast. And she said she could only imagine Given this year and another two months, what that Thanksgiving meal will be like, so no thank you, she'll help here. <laughs> well, her family's loss will be our, um, our win, I think. And while we can chuckle at uh, the reality of her family Thanksgiving dinner, we know the pain of that sort of situation. All of us know the the difficulty of conversations, whether with co-workers or friends or family, um, over things that we differ with. There's a divide, there's a distance, and sometimes we focus on that distance and it's hard to think of anything we have in common. We forget that we're family. We forget that we might share 90% of the same worldview. We forget all that because of the distance that seems um, expansive, it seems vast. We can't see the other side. It feels like a chasm, to use that word from today's gospel. Today's gospel talks about a chasm, a distance, um, that's so, so wide that no one can cross it. This particular chasm uh, can seem to be about poverty and wealth, and at some level it is. But, but more than the actual possession of things or not having things, Abraham makes the point that this is a chasm uh, because of separation. Because the rich person has forgotten that he's in relationship with the poor person. Today's gospel talks about that expanse, that divide. The poor name, the poor man is named Lazarus. And that's the same name as the brother of Mary, Mar- Mary and Martha, the same Lazarus that's in our, our top right middle uh, stained glass window. That's the Lazarus who is raised from the dead. This is a different Lazarus. <laughs> same name, different person. And so the poor man is named Lazarus. And we're not told what the name of the rich man is. Um, 
From very early on, someone has taken the Latin word for rich person and called this man a nickname using that term, dives, D-I-V-E-S. So if you know opera or poetry or literature, you'll know that there's a recurring theme of, of, of Dives and Lazarus. Um, that's this rich man. We'll call him Dives because we don't know what his real name is. Jesus tells this story to the Pharisees as a way of showing how they are misrepresenting this great tradition handed down by Moses and the prophets. You notice how it ends where Jesus says, if you're not paying attention to what Moses and the prophets say, even if someone were to come back from the dead, you won't listen to them either. Of course, Jesus is foreshadowing his own return which will be ignored by many. But he's telling this story about a rich man who's so rich that every meal is a feast. But outside this rich man's house is this person named Lazarus, who's who's always there waiting for scraps, hoping for a little money, or maybe just praying that today he'll get a break. And so the two men die, Dives, the rich man, and Lazarus, the poor one. And they both go to that place that Jews and Christians in the first century would have thought of as the afterlife, the the place called Hades. Um, It's not an an absolute place or image, but it's a little combination of of heaven and hell and purgatory. Uh, There's talk of flames, but there's there's also the sense of moving beyond it. Jesus doesn't tell this story to, to make a doctrinal or theological point about the afterlife. But what he's talking about is, is this relationship between the two people. And so we just heard the story. Dives, the rich one, has, has gone to this afterlife place, and he still thinks of himself as wealthy, as powerful, as, as privileged. He's used to being able to, to point his finger and things happen. And so he's a little surprised when he sees Abraham, the patriarch, the the most important person in Hades or in any room, uh, when Abraham is walking by, and who's with Abraham but Lazarus? Dives probably assumes Lazarus is is the servant to Abraham. And so Dives says, "Uh, Abraham, could you have Lazarus go run an errand? I'm thirsty. And that's when Abraham starts preaching. And he says, you got yours In this world, Lazarus is getting his now. Besides, between you and us is a great chasm. I love that term, a great chasm. It's a distance, it's an expanse, it's a void. It's this distance that dooms Dives. It's this distance that keeps him from really knowing Lazarus or knowing anything about Lazarus' life or situation. We know what it is to be separated by distance from others. This suggests that if we're not able to somehow lessen the chasms in this life, they may be so deep as to follow us into heaven. Jesus never says the rich man is bad. The rich man is not evil, nor does he suggest that the rich man has, has gotten his, his gains by unlawful means. Instead, he's talking about the distance, what keeps the two apart. Dives removes himself from this other one. 
In a way, those of us who live in New York City, we're, we're allowed a little break in this because uh, the proximity of most of our lives means we, we move among people who are very different from ourselves every day. The fabulously wealthy might be standing next to the incredibly poor on the subway or on the bus or on the street. But many of us come from suburbs and other places where we know it's pretty easy to carve a life out and over and apart from those who are different from us, those who are poor, those who come from another place. What sort of chasms haunt us in our lives? Obviously in our day there are the political divides, the political chasms We who live in one of the wealthiest zip codes in the universe, where power, money, and education and opportunity are all concentrated, some of us may not see the other sides of the spectrum. Within religion, within our own Anglican communion, there are lots of things separating still from race and class and gender and sexual identity On and on we can go. We have these difficult, painful chasms. So what do we do about them? Well, Jesus offers us several means of navigating the chasms. First, we can befriend the stranger. That doesn't mean we become close necessarily. It just means we listen. It means we pay attention. It means we try to be careful with prejudice. Especially at this day and age, prejudice is usually just wrong. It's usually not based in anything. Um, how many times I've met someone who, who will, first of all, see me as someone who lives in New York, who has um, a husband as my life partner, and they assume certain things because of that. They're surprised sometimes when they realize I grew up in North Carolina with guns. I'm a really good shot. <laughs> They're surprised when we talk economics, and I can sometimes sound very conservative, very traditional in my approach to things. In the same ways, when I travel both to the south and other parts of the country, and I meet someone who, who looks very different from me or has a, a really thick accent from their region, I make assumptions. So imagine how surprised I was to meet the lady from Houston the other week who then tells me about her addiction to public radio, her vegan lifestyle, and who she's supporting already in the next presidential race. I didn't see any of that coming from her. I wasn't able to hear her for who she was because I imagined her to be a very different person. How often do we do that? And it continues this divide that so often is unnecessary. It doesn't serve us. And so the first way of bridging this distance is simply to listen, to look, to pause with our prejudice. The second way is to pray for the person across the distance, even if we can't see them, even if they're so far away, we can only hear them, and what we hear sounds shrill. I used to have a senior warden who would tell me, Father John, I know I'm supposed to pray for my neighbor, but sometimes I have to do it from across the street. <laughs> Nancy was right, but she still prayed for that neighbor, even though she didn't expect she would ever really like the person or want to be around them very closely. But she prayed for them, that, that God would do to them all the good that God intends for all of us. 
that begins to bridge some of that distance to cross the chasm. And finally, we have a model. We have a mystery in the sacrament of Holy Communion. In this sharing of food and drink, we take into ourselves bread and wine, the body and blood of Christ, mystically, that becomes a part of us. And so we become a part of him. And so even when we look in the mirror and what we see doesn't in any way reflect Christ to us, nevertheless, day by day, hour by hour, Holy Communion by Holy Communion, we grow more nearly into the image of Christ. And with God's good grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, we're able to move a little closer across any chasm. May God help us all to move across the chasms we encounter, the distances real or perceived. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.